Thank you for tuning in to the Northfield Podcast Network. We appreciate you being here and taking time out of your schedule to listen to our audio resources. The sermon that you're about to hear is part of the Northfield Podcast Network's Sermon Audio Resource Vault. We pray that this sermon audio resource encourages you and benefits you this week and brings all glory to God. Thank you for listening. Second Timothy chapter 2. David might recall we actually spent a short while there in Sunday school this morning. Although not on the same verse in the same context. What we're going to uncover here together and dig into this morning in uh, this part of 2 Timothy is where we as Christians draw our strength and where our dependency lies. We as Christians know and we think counterculture to the world in this term, these terms in that the strength that we depend on is not something that we muster up within ourselves. It's not something that we bolster up within our own wills and our own power. Uh, We are weak and we are futile and we are dependent on God in everything. So that's what we'll uncover here in 2 Timothy 2. And I did want to uh, thank you for having me again. Um, I get, I was just discussing with Ed that I get so much out of studying and preaching and uh, preparing to deliver these messages. Um, uh, not to insult your intelligence, but I think I get a whole lot more out of it than you do. <laughs> um, and that's a good thing. Um, the study is um, a blessing and it's an honor and a privilege to be with you um, It never fails. At some point during my study in preparation, I end up in tears. And uh, I think my wife has witnessed that a time or two. Um, The grace of God. Um, I'm not worthy to be up here. Um, And yet God chooses to use me. So So what are we studying here in 2 Timothy? Well, there's going to be three S's here, trying to be a good... Baptist preacher, I worked on my alliteration very hard. So three things that we're going to uncover here. Uh, We are strengthened by the grace of God. We are sustained by the grace of God. And we are strategically entrusted by God. Strategically entrusted by God. So if you would, please stand with me and let's read this passage here together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'll read through verse 3, but our, our focus will be on just the first two verses. Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for this opportunity to spend time with your body 
and to love one another as you love your church. Lord, I praise you for this opportunity to exposit your word and to dig in and study and to proclaim it to your sheep, Father. What an honor it is, and I pray that you would use me as an instrument and as a tool and that uh, it would not be me speaking, Lord, but that you would speak through me and overshadow me with your cross. God, in Jesus' name, amen. We are strengthened by the grace of God. We are sustained by God, and we are strategically entrusted by God. So as we dig in here, it helps, as always, to know a little bit of textual history and context so that we can understand why Paul is saying these things to Timothy and why he's speaking the way he is speaking, right? So I will remind you that this is Paul's last letter written before he was executed. Um, Although in our uh, completed canon of Scripture today, Titus uh, comes later in the text, it's uh, believed by most theologians that Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. Um, and that's based on the language that he uses. We are in the transition period here between the apostolic church and the post-apostolic church. And what that means is God is starting to work out his plans and his purposes that he has ordained through the church, uh, both in biblical times and then continuing all the way to us today. He's starting to work out this transition to where his church is the means, as we discussed in Sunday school with David, the means that he has ordained to proclaim and to propagate and to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. He's using his church to do that. So we're in this transition period here Uh, Paul obviously trusts Timothy, right? He says that many times he loves him as a son. Um, And in that, we're also reminded that Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus. If you recall, I covered a little bit in my Ephesians 2 sermon when I was here that there is a lot of nonsense going on in Ephesus. A lot of nonsense. Uh, There is a lot of historical... um, Uh, material that you can dig in to read about that, including what's in Scripture. But there's a lot of false religions in Ephesus. There's a lot of pagan practices. There's a lot of um, uh, worship of false gods, uh, female false gods, uh, a lot of um, detestable things um, that we won't discuss in detail. But the church, the Christian church, because of this is regularly and often Uh, persecuted. They endure much suffering and persecution. Um, Paul details such persecution elsewhere in areas of Asia Minor, and he makes clear that there has already been in the church deserters. There's already been people who have apostatized from the church. They've already left. They're gone. And as we're told by John, they went out from us because they were never of us. So the church, this is the first century, and we're already seeing that the goats are being weeded out from the sheep. It's a very serious thing. So Timothy is now being entrusted with three things. He's being entrusted with the source of the gospel, the substance of the gospel, 
and the spread of the gospel throughout the world. And Timothy is expected to endure in the midst of persecution and even imminent danger and possible even death and extinction, all these things, right? This is not your best life now at all. Can you imagine the fear and the stress of the church? There's this mindset going on that it could be all over very soon. This could all be over. So in the midst of that, Paul is coming to his end. He's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. He has finished the race. And now the question is, is Timothy going to do the same thing? Are you going to do the same thing? And if so, how is Timothy going to do it? How? And that's what Paul covers in this passage. We are strengthened and sustained by grace. I'll combine those first two. Number one, we are strengthened and sustained by grace. In verse one, he says, You then, my child. So in the midst of all this stuff that's going on, all this persecution, Paul says, now I'm going to talk to you, my child. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So why does Paul speak this way? He says, you then, my child. Well, we could see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the previous chapter, Paul, as we've mentioned, he makes clear his intimate fatherly relationship with Timothy. He shows that he has a deep care for him as a father would for a child or as a mentor would for a student, right? We probably have some teachers here. You have care for the children that have been entrusted to you, right? But chapter 2 begins much like chapter 1. Paul kind of repeats himself. But it wasn't like Paul said to himself, all right, Timothy, I'm going to begin chapter 2 now. I'm going to make sure that it begins a lot like chapter 1. No, it's, it wasn't like that. But the recurring emphasis should stand out to us, right? This emphasis of this close relationship, my child, over and over again. So as I mentioned at the end of chapter 1, Paul, Paul details a mass defection in Asia. He mentioned how they had turned away from him. They had turned away from the church. They deserted him under pressure of persecution. And Paul had given an illustration of, of these people who had defected from the church. And then he says, you then, my child, because of everything I've detailed before, now here comes some instruction. Here comes how you're going to be strengthened. Verse 1, you then be strengthened. See, although Paul is expressing that Timothy is to be intentional in what he does, we're to be intentional with everything that we do, right? Paul says, do everything to the glory of God, right? Paul reminds Timothy of the source of his strength, the source of it. If you notice here, he says, be strengthened. He doesn't say, oh, Timothy, you are strong. Timothy, you're so strong. You have the strength within you to accomplish this. You can do this. No, he says, be strengthened. Now, depending on what translation you have, yours might say, be strong. But it's important to realize here that in the Greek, in the original language, it's very clear that this is a passive verb that Paul is using here. It's passive strength. 
It's a strength that's outside of Timothy. It's passive. Where is this strength coming from? He reminds him of the source of it. And the source of his strength is what? The grace of God. The grace of God. Paul makes clear that Timothy is not to look into himself. He's not to look into himself in order to fulfill the purposes of God because his strength is outside of himself. Are you seeing the pattern here? It's outside of us. So our strength as believers, there's not just application here for Timothy. We can see the application here for all believers, right? Our strength as believers is outside of us. We see this later in the book, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Paul says that the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me so that, you see, there's a purpose. He strengthened me, not just for the fun of it, not for no reason, so that, what, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. So there's a purpose in God strengthening us. So that. Same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the previous chapter, verse 8. Paul invites Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel by himself? No. By the power of God. By the power of God. You see, it's only by the power of God that we can endure such things. Think of our brothers and sisters in China. And in the Middle East, people who are being beheaded, beheaded people who are being imprisoned. I, uh, I heard of, a, you may have seen it in the news or on social media, that the Chinese pastor that was imprisoned and tortured and um, kept from his family. And he said something amazing in one of the, um, one of the materials that, that I read about him, the sources. And he said, do not pray that God will save me out of this. He said, don't pray for that. Don't pray for me to be, that they would let me go or that I would make it out of this alive or whatever. He said, pray that the Lord would give me the grace and the strength to endure this. Why would someone ask that? Because he knows where his strength comes from. He knows the source of his strength and it's the grace of God. Ephesians 6, Paul is giving a call to arms. He's telling believers to put on the whole armor of God, right? You're familiar with that passage? And then he tells them, pay attention to the last part, finally be strong or be strengthened in the Lord. And what? In the strength of His might. Of His might. And then one more in Colossians 1 verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to what? His glorious might. Again, you seeing the pattern here? Where we draw our strength from as believers? Why do you keep saying the same thing over and over, Paul? Why do you keep repeating yourself? This should encourage us, right? This should bolster us as believers. Why does Paul say this too much? Well, because it's apparently very important for us to understand this. I need you to get this, Paul says, that we require and we rely on a strength that is outside of us. We are to rely on God in all things, in humility 
And it's a good thing. We're not weak because of that. The world may look at that and say, you weak, pathetic Christians. Because we recognize that we are weak. But that's not, that doesn't make us weak. It makes us strong. It's good to recognize our dependence on God. Right? For in our weakness, He is strong. Right? So this way of thinking is very counterculture, though, right? In this contemporary, modern, American approach to life, what's the, what's the slogans that you hear all the time? You know, look inside yourself. <laughs> look into your heart. It's in there. You'll find it. You'll find all the answers. Look in your, just look in your heart. No, the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So that's a terrible place to look. <laughs> Just look inside yourself, the world says. There are the old army slogan, not to disparage on the army. I love you and thank you for your service. But the old army slogan, be all you can be. That's not how the Christian thinks. This counterculture way of thinking is demonstrated beautifully in this old hymn. Some of you may know it. I didn't know it and I had to Google it. Um, <laughs> that's my generation. Um, this old hymn, Make Me a Captive Lord. And I'll just read a small portion of it here for you. It demonstrates this way of thinking. Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. You see that pattern? Strip away everything from me. All my strength is but nothing. But in your arms I'm strong. You then, my child, be strengthened. <laughs> I'm not going to cry. <laughs> we can look at this from another perspective, just a quick little personal illustration think about the the simple task of getting out of bed in the morning right it's a task sometimes my wife can attest how often i push the snooze button or often more and more nowadays with our technology going further and further and the robots taking over everything it's hey google snooze hey google be quiet for five minutes this task of getting out of bed right? You have to choose to get out of bed, right? You have to find some sort of strength, I guess, to get out of bed. But ultimately, what are we talking about here? The dependency on God, where ultimately it is God that allows you to wake up, right? It's God that ensures that your heart is beating in your chest still when your alarm goes off in the morning, is it not? See, pagans don't think this way, but we do. Your ability ultimately to do anything comes as a gift from God. It is outside yourself. Likewise, it was with Timothy. We acknowledge this as believers. So moving on to the, the sustaining. We are sustained by the grace of God. Right? Paul says, be strengthened by what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Well, he words it that way in a very specific way. If you notice, if you go, you have to, I've learned to train as a learning preacher to examine each and every single word, and it is very tedious sometimes. But we can just gloss over sentences like this, can't we? We just read it and, oh yeah, that sounds nice. But the wording is so important here. Paul says, in Christ Jesus. It's in Him, right? Be strengthened by the grace that is where? In Christ Jesus. He's clearly, obviously speaking of believers here, right? Because those who are not believers don't find their strength in Christ Jesus. It's in Him alone. He's clearly speaking to those that are regenerate believers that are in union with Christ. And what a beautiful doctrine that is, our union with Christ. If you ever dig into that and understanding what it means to be in Christ and He in you, it's beautiful. So, But because of our union with Christ, we not only have the grace that was sufficient to save us, we also have an ongoing grace that continues to strengthen us and it continues to carry us through the rest of our lives. Do you see that? It's not a one-time thing. That's an ongoing grace through the rest of your life. That's that dependency. We are enabled by the Spirit of God. And what God begins, He completes. Philippians 1.6, right? How does He complete it? Well, again, according to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You're seeing this repeated over and over and over again. We go forward by grace alone, right? Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2. It's not by your intellect. It's not by your endeavors. It's not by how strong you are. It is by grace. By grace. Do you see that? This is the big, this is the big point. I want you to get this. In, in the order in which Paul is saying this, this is why it's so important. This is the big point. Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm going to tell you the strategy. I'm going to tell you what you are to do next, and I'm going to explain it. But first, let me tell you how you are going to do it by grace. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see that? I'm not just going to give you a list of things and say, go figure it out, dummy. No, I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it by grace. That's how we accomplish anything I mean can you think of a time I sure can when you were so overwhelmed and so lost and so confused that you didn't know how you would ever get through where you felt things that things were so far gone that all you could do was throw up your hands and say I trust you Lord I trust you. It's in your hands. Sometimes God uses those times. He decrees them to be so, so that we're reminded of our dependency on Him. How am I going to get through this? These overwhelming circumstances. I'll give you an example of a, a woman that I had never heard of. Her name is Annie Johnson Flint. Some of you may know her name. She was a great hymn writer in the late 1800s. And uh, her parents died. Really? <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. 
<laughs> I don't know how you've aged so well. That's incredible. The late 1800s, uh, her parents died when she was five years old. So she was orphaned and she was adopted by a, by a kindly family. And guess what? That family was a family of Christians and they led her to Christ. But then that family, those, those her adopters, her parents there, were killed in an accident. So she's lost two sets of parents now. So she was orphaned again. So on top of that, just, just keep tally of these so if you can see if your situation is worse than hers. She was an invalid on top of that. She had a serious, very serious arthritic condition uh, for which there was no cure at the time. It landed her in a wheelchair. Um, she was completely helpless. Um, and often, because of this condition, she was in severe pain all of her life. Severe pain almost her entire life. But in spite of that, Annie Johnson Flint, she wrote these encouraging notes to people. I'm sure you all have a, a nice, kindly, elderly woman that's done that for you in your past. And what a blessing that is, right? God uses that. She wrote these encouraging notes to people and she based them on Scripture, right? And then out of the writing of those little notes, she started writing hymns from her wheelchair. And one of her hymns is called, He Giveth More Grace. It goes something like this, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength there's that word again, when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. We need to sing hymns like that more often. How did Annie Johnson Flint find the strength to do what she did? How did she persevere? Only by the strength that is found in the grace of God. By that alone. So then... What do we do with this? What do we do with this as, as a believer? What's the strategy here? Paul moves on here. He's laying out instruction, direction, guidance, right? And Paul makes clear that Timothy, and of course, like I said, we can apply this to all believers. Timothy is to approach the task ahead of him knowing that he is empowered by and strengthened by the grace of God. So now Paul moves into the strategy for the gospel. So verse 2 again, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the strategy here is what? To entrust. Entrust it. Entrust what he has heard from Paul to faithful men. And it's not just entrusted to any men, but specifically to faithful men. And what does it mean to be faithful? Well, to give a couple definitions here, we have loyal, constant, steadfast, true, unwavering, unerring. 
If you notice, all of these qualities describe God. In fact, God is the source of all of these qualities. Amen? He's the source of loyalty and constant steadfastness, unwavering. He says, you are to entrust this to faithful people. God is the source of faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7.9 tells us, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Right? He is the faithful God. Faithfulness. And we're to entrust this faithfulness to others. Right? Furthermore, he says, these men are to be able to teach. Well, what does that mean? Well, if they're able to teach, that would suggest that they're competent, right? And I mean, I, I know you all probably know of some people, do not point to them in this room, who you can say, man, that he is just passionate, he is zealous, he's just, oh, he's so excited, but he's completely incompetent. Don't try... <laughs> You may know some people like that. Or you may say, he needs training. He needs severe training. Don't say that about your neighbor. You know, but I, I want to make clear here also that, that there is application here for all believers. Don't tune me out here because although Paul is obviously speaking to Timothy here in a pastoral and an elder role, and we know the scripture is clear on the distinction of roles and the authority within Christ's church, he has ordained that authority uh, and structure be worked out in a certain way in his church. But there is application here that we can dig out for all believers. Although not all of us will stand behind a pulpit and preach, God has not ordained that for every single person. We're not leaving people out here, so don't tune me out. We're not leaving out the you younger believers or women or anybody else. The question is this that we have to ask ourselves is, do all believers have some responsibility to entrust the gospel to others? Yeah, absolutely you do. Absolutely we do. See, although we have different roles and capacities and skills and talents and all those things, all those things are blessings from God, right? And we're to use them as such. There are tools that he's given to us. We all have a particular sphere of influence, right? Some of us have a larger sphere than others. Like Joe over here, he knows like so many people, manages a lot of people. He has a sphere over, over these people that are underneath him in the workplace. Many of you have the same experience. You have a sphere of influence, right? All believers are admonished time and time again throughout Scripture to evangelize, tell others about Christ and what He has done, right? What He has done in your life. We're to tell people and give witness to our testimony, right? We talked about that last time I was here, the testimony and the witness of God. See, just because you're not behind a pulpit does not mean that you should not be sharing the gospel and calling people to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. You don't need a stage. We are to call people. It's the, that's the outward call of the gospel. We are entrusted with it. 
As Paul tells Timothy here. And in fact, to choose willfully not to do that is an act of disobedience. It's disobedience. And I used to be disobedient in that way. I was very disobedient. It's, uh, it's difficult. You know, it's awkward. How are they going to react? What are they going to say? Are they going to react negatively or violently? They're going to punch me in the nose. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that's happened in Walmart before, but it's, you know, it's not guaranteed to happen if you share the gospel with somebody. Share the, the hope. Give a defense for the hope that is within you, right? Jesus gave this as a command, and it is a command. He said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based on that authority, based on the authority of Christ, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people like to leave off this last part, but it's so important. The last part says, and teaching them teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. Do you see the pattern here? We're strengthened by the grace of God. We're to entrust this message to others, and he gives you the strength to do so. And you train them, and you disciple them. That's what Paul's doing for Timothy here, right? That's what your pastors do for you. All of us are entrusted with this gospel. entrusted to others. Share in suffering. Paul says, and what you have heard from me. Why does he say it that way? Well, what did Timothy hear from Paul? Well, this is the gospel. The gospel, of course. The gospel first came from God to Paul, though, right? Let's not forget the order. The order of operations here, the history. It first came from God to Paul, and then from Paul to Timothy, and then from Timothy to all those sheep that are under his care, right? All those that have been entrusted to him. Who's been entrusted to you? Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Are you a teacher? You work in an office somewhere? They don't have to necessarily be younger than you. All of us can see how this pattern is to play out. All of us. We have a responsibility. And God's entrusted us with this, and that's not a burden. It's an honor. And it's a privilege, right? Paul received and delivered the gospel to Timothy and to the Gentiles alike, right? We see this pattern paid out, played out very quickly. I'll go through a few here very quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, we're all familiar with this passage, right? He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He lays it out very, very easily here. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. What did he do there? He entrusted it. Unless you believed in vain. He says, 
But I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 at a time. And on and on it goes. On and on. Romans 1.1, Paul, the very first verse of his letter to the Romans, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? The gospel of God. The gospel of God. And he, he uh, further goes into detail on that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. You see that? For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I, what? Received it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see the pattern plays out here. I received it, and then I delivered it. I entrusted it. I proclaimed it. And then we see through that 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 is the means that God chooses to use to draw and bring his sheep to himself. We get to participate in that. Do you see that? We get to be a part of it. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school too. Why? Well, why are we to entrust the gospel to others? As we mentioned in Sunday school again, God ordains the beginning from the end, right? But what so many people forget or they don't realize at all is that God also ordains the means to that end. He ordains it all. What am I getting at? That it is an honor and a privilege to participate in the Great Commission. It's an honor. That's the means that God has chosen to use. Right? Why God chose to involve us is beyond me. Do you ever ponder that? Why he chose to involve us, silly, futile, sinful, fickle human beings, wicked, to spread his message of love? Yes. Why he chose to do that, I, does it not baffle you sometimes when you think about that? It's fantastic. Can you understand why he chose to do that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, I think Dale mentioned this earlier, 1 Corinthians 1, it pleased God to use the foolishness of men, the foolishness of what we preach to do what? To save those who believe. He uses fools, foolish men like me and like you to do what? To proclaim his message. It's fantastic. Do you, do you ever ponder that? He does so. Why? Because then, knowing that we are fools and that we are nothing apart from Him, He does so because then we make much of Him. We make much of Him through it. And we bring praise to His glorious name. Right? Because we cannot take any credit. Because we are but dust. We are but fools in the shadow of an infinitely holy God. God does not need to use us. 
as a means to spread his gospel. He doesn't need to use us, but he chooses to. He chooses to. Why? Because he chooses to. Because he's sovereign. The question then becomes, in light of all these things, in in closing here, is do you believe this gospel? Do you believe what has been entrusted to you? Do you trust in these things? Do you have a deep spiritual conviction that what the scriptures teach is true? Do you believe that Christ paid the price for guilty sinners? Do you trust alone in Him and not on your own merits? And if so, you have to ask yourself, why, don't you? Why do I believe this? Am I a fool? Am I a fool? Why do I believe these things? Um, The answer lies in what we already discussed. You believe this because God's gospel has been delivered and entrusted to you. Amen? You believe this, even deeper than that, you believe this because God saw fit to love you, a filthy, wicked sinner, before the foundations of the world. He saw fit to convict you of your sin. He took out your heart of stone and He gave you a heart of flesh. He opened your eyes and ears to understand and believe this gospel. He regenerated you and He raised you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And He did this when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He raised you and He made you a new creation. And then He gave you a desire to love Him and to obey Him and then to follow Him. And we get to enjoy communion with Him. Ultimately leading to an eternal glory and enjoyment of Him forever. That's why you believe this. And if all those things are true about us as believers, then we are encouraged and commanded by God Himself to do what? To entrust this message of the gift of the gospel of God to others. Entrust it to others. God ordains the beginning from the end and the means to that end. And not only do we entrust it, but what's behind that? What's what's bolstering that from underneath? Not only do we entrust it, but God gives us the strength. He strengthens us in order to do so. It's fantastic. He doesn't just entrust it to us, but He strengthens us to do it. Isn't that amazing? You then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened. Will you be used as an instrument of God? That's the question, isn't it? Will you be used as an instrument of God for His glory? Or will you sit on the sidelines as there are those around you suffering and they're in need of the hope that is within you? It's the call of the gospel. And thankfully, you know that he strengthens you so that you're not doing it on your own. 
If all those things are not true about you, then I urge you today to cling to Christ and to trust in Christ alone today for your salvation. If God is doing a work in your heart, he's doing so for a reason. If he's convicting your heart and softening you and opening your eyes, don't run from that. Don't ignore it. Cling to Christ. Trust in him and entrust his message. And know that it is he that strengthens you in order to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. We thank you that although the burden is heavy, Lord, the burden of being still wrapped in this sinful flesh, Lord, that you strengthen us that you bolster us and give us the grace that's necessary to carry on in this life. The grace that's necessary to preach your gospel to others, to entrust it to others, and to help in the great commission, Lord. What a privilege and an honor it is. God, we thank you that you have chosen to involve us when you did not have to do so. God, I pray that you would draw your sheep to yourself. I pray that eyes would be opened, ears would be opened, and that you would save, Lord, as only you can save. And we trust that you will do that. You are the great Savior. You are the only Savior. And we praise you in your glorious name. And we thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.